Church, let me ask you a question. Have you ever wanted to do something so badly and someone told you no? Growing up, all of us, when we were children, can identify with the pain of hearing the word no. Perhaps it was something small, like wanting to eat something when we shouldn't. Or, or perhaps it was maybe going out and hanging with our friends or spending time with our friends over the weekend, delaying curfew by an hour or two on a special occasion. Or maybe it was something big, like wanting to do something that would ultimately alter our lives. And our parents or guardians or the people who are watching over us said no. It's not just what happens with children. It's not just what happens with teenagers and young adults. It's also what tends to happen as adults as well. We get to the place where we want to do something. We have an expressed desire. And then it seems as though at the point where we really desire to do something, someone tells us no. Someone tells us this is against the rules of a job. This is against the special dictates or expectations of a relationship. This is something that you can't do according to society, right? We hear the word no. I don't know anybody who likes to hear the word no. I don't know anybody who likes to be rejected. I don't know anybody who wants to be resisted. I don't know them. But if you've ever had someone tell you no, can you raise your hand for me? You ever had somebody tell you, no, you can't do this, even though you wanted to do it very badly? Let me ask you another question, though, church. Have you ever wanted to do something so badly and God said no? We're getting into different territory here now, right? It's one thing if people tell us no. One thing if our parents or friends tell us no. One thing if our spouse tells us no. One thing if our employers or broader society tells us no. But what do you do when you want to do something so badly and God says no? Has God ever told you no? Has God ever told you that you can't do the thing you want to do so badly? Go to the place you want to go. Accept the offer that you desire to step into. Has God ever told you no? There are a thousand areas where this may be true. It may be true in our finances, relationships, job prospects, purpose, calling. It may be true eventually in what we choose for our lives, how we determine our future. But all of us, I believe, have had the experience, the uncomfortable experience of not just being resisted by people, but ultimately being resisted by God himself. God sometimes tells us no. And it's one thing for us to hear no. I think we can categorize that and compartmentalize it, even though it is hard for us to be rejected and resisted. But what happens when God tells some of the most famous believers, some of the most famous saints in history, no? It, it, it again, makes sense for us. We're, we seem to be no one, right, in the context of broader history. We haven't done something great that's been written about in inspired scripture. We're just those who are following Jesus. We're just a part of the story. But, but what about people like Abraham? What about people like Moses? What about people like Mary? What about this particular text today? Well, we're going to talk about when God told David no. David, the man after God's own heart. David, 
the one who had defeated the giant, David, the one who had vanquished all of Israel's enemies, David, the one who had brought honor to the house of Israel, the one who had led with purity, the one who had led so ably, David. Why would God tell David no? And if God tells David no, do we have any chance? You ever thought that? Sometimes God will allow some of the star Christians, the really popular ones, to go through trials, tribulations, suffering, difficulties. They will allow them to pass through a test so they can get a testimony. And you're sitting and watching, you're asking the question, wait a second, if this happened to them, what could happen to me? If they go through that, something so deep, so great, so harrowing, where they pray for something and it does not come to pass, what could happen to me? And God tells everyone no. We have set up a hierarchy in Christianity to make people think that certain people get special privileges, but here's the truth, it's a dirty little secret. Doesn't matter if you're a Christian celebrity or a famous pastor, prophet, or apostle. Doesn't matter how much money you have in the bank. Doesn't matter if you're written about in scripture or you're just a regular person thinking that you're doing nothing special. God will tell every single one of us at some point, no. And what do you do when God says no? Last week we started a series. We started a series entitled, If You Build It. Type it in the comments again. If you build it. And we talked about the fact that when we say building and when we look at the root of the word, it means to exist and grow, but it also means to dwell. And so it leads us to say that if we're building in the right way, we must say that right building leads to right dwelling. This is a biblical principle, right? And so our goal in this series is to ask some questions about ourselves personally, but also about ourselves collectively as a church, as a body of believers. And so our goal is this, to build what God is already blessing instead of asking God to bless what we're building. And so again, this is our goal. It is to step forward and say, God, what are you doing that we can partner with rather than what are we doing in and in of ourselves that we would ask for you to place your hand upon. It's just a shifting of the frame. It's a paradigm shift. We want to do what God is already blessing. And here in this passage of scripture that we're going to talk about today, there's someone who runs into this. And when you think about someone like David, you wouldn't think that he would struggle with God saying no, but David mightily, deeply struggles with this response. And David in 2 Samuel chapter 7, it says this, it's on your screen. After the king was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, here I am living in a house of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. Catch this. There are a couple of things that are very interesting off the top, right? So the king, David, was settled in the palace. The Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him. Catch this, David is not in a place of desperation, he's in a place of accomplishment. David is not fighting and striving. David is fighting and resting from victory. David is sitting down, enjoying all that God has blessed him with. And as a response to this, David says something that seems on its face to be very reasonable. He says, I'm living in a house of cedar. Very expensive at that time. It's like the marble palaces and, and mansions that we would have today. While the ark of God remains in a tent. The ark of God, the ark of the covenant. Now, now for those of you who are unaware, the ark of God practically 
It, it, it is a box or a chest, and it contained very important documents. It contained um, the, the Ten Commandments. It contained scrolls. It contained things that were going to represent the religious and spiritual history of the people of God, but it was also symbolic because the Ark of the Covenant was the symbol of God's presence. So imagine the most valuable thing that you can have, the most valuable thing that matters to a people, the most valuable thing that gives it its power, the most valuable thing for believers in Jesus. And David says, I'm sitting in a mansion, but the ark of God, the symbol of God's presence, sits in a tent. And the ark of the covenant, it represented their atonement. It represented something that they had to do every single year, which was atone for the sins of the people. Leviticus 16 talks about this. When God gives instructions to Moses and says, he shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary, the high priest, and he shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar, and he shall make atonement for the priest and for all the people of the assembly, and this shall be a statute forever, that atonement may be made for the people of Israel once in the year because of all their sins. This is a predictive prophecy, a, a type and a shadow of what Jesus will come and do for us, right? Jesus atones for all our sins. He becomes the, the scapegoat. He becomes the one who pays for the sins of the world on the cross, right? So this is not some light matter. This is very important. And I'm showing you this because David was asking for something that was reasonable. David lives in a mansion. God's house is in a tent. God's presence is in a tent. The place where we make atonement is in a tent. This don't make any sense. God, let me build a temple. Let me build a tabernacle. Let me build a mega church. Let me build something great and awesome and mighty and expensive. So God, it can do God justice. It can do the presence of God, but justice that God deserves. And you know what? It seems as though this makes sense. It seems as though in our lives there will be some times where we will take a step back and say, this makes all the sense in the world for me to do this. God, I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to do this for you because this is what I'm supposed to do, right? I'm supposed to go and do some great big exploit for God. I'm supposed to sit back and I'm supposed to draw attention to God. So, so let me do something great. Let me do something mighty. Have you ever wanted to do something so badly for God and God said no? You ever wanted to go out and plan a big business? You ever wanted to go out and do some great ministry? You ever wanted to go out and do something awesome because you had the resources to accomplish it? It was reasonable for David to think that the Ark of the Covenant should be in a fancy temple that should be in a palace. But here's something I need you to understand. As we think about the Ark of the Covenant, as we think about this, as we think about doing great things for God, what is reasonable to you may not be right with God. What seems logical for you, what seems like it makes sense to your natural mind, your human faculties of reason and logic, does not always compute in the kingdom of God. See, this is something that people don't understand. Listen, if you have just become a Christian, or maybe you've been a Christian for a while, no one sat down and told you this, you need to hear this, the kingdom of God doesn't always make natural sense. The kingdom of God does not always adhere to the laws of logic. As a philosophy major in college, I had to take Logic 301. It was one of the worst classes that I've ever taken. 
It was one of the times where I literally sat down and looked at, <laughs> looked at the professor as we were taking a test, and I said, what am I supposed to do with this? I held up my test in the air and said, I don't know what to do with this. This don't make no sense. <laughs> and the professor looked back at me, you got to finish the exam. you got to finish the test. It was challenging because it stretched our minds to think about what is reasonable, the limits of logic and reason. And logic is important. Logic is valuable. Logic is reasonable. Logic is useful. But I'm going to tell you something, church. There are some things about the kingdom of God that don't make logical sense. There are some things about the way the kingdom of God operates. What does Jesus say? If you want to save your life, you have to lose it. If you lose your life for my sake, you'll save it. What? The first shall be last. The last shall be first. Huh? This don't make any sense. Give and it shall be given unto you. Huh? Repent of your sins and you'll be saved. What? Believe in me. That's all you got to do. And now you have eternal life. Huh? And not just that, not just these big principles that we talk about, but, but we're talking about the natural things. Why does it seem like you've been doing the right thing the whole time? Somebody know what I'm talking about. You've been doing the right thing the whole time and God don't give you the blessing that you think you deserve. Somebody else got the promotion? You saying no to this, but I've been faithful in this job. I saw what they do. They ain't as good as me, God. No offense. I want to maintain my humility. No offense, but they're not doing it as, as good as me. I have excellence. I'm representing you well. It makes all the sense of the world. It is logical. And if you submit the kingdom of God to logic, you will be setting yourself up for frustration. Your journey will not be linear. Your journey will not be as sequential as you want it to be. Your journey will be messy. Your journey will be hard. Your journey will be frustrating. And that is why, church, catch this principle. We are not led primarily by logic, but by the spirit of God. We walk by faith, not by sight. We do not walk by what logically makes sense. If God tells us to go somewhere and everybody else tells us it's a bad idea, what did God say? I follow the spirit of God, not the logic of the world. As useful as it may be, the first thing that I ask is, what does God's spirit say? And I'm going to challenge somebody right now because you've been living by logic. You've been living by what makes sense. Makes sense for me to do this. Makes sense for me to marry this person. Makes sense for me to go to this place. Makes sense for me. And you have convinced yourself that God is going to bless what makes sense. No, there are some times where the Spirit of God tells you no. And you better listen. We are not led by logic. We are led by the Spirit. This is so interesting because David says this, right? He says, I'm going to create this temple for the ark of God, right? Makes all the sense in the world. Of course. Sure. Why not? And you know who also says this? The prophet. The prophet Nathan, who is the prophet at the time, this is what the prophet says. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 3. Nathan replies to the king, whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it. For the Lord is with you. Wow. Guess God's for it, huh? Because somebody told me God's okay with it. It is so interesting that Nathan himself, the prophet that is supposed to hear from the voice of God, 
the prophet that is supposed to stand before the king and tell him, thus saith the Lord. Nathan says, sure, whatever you think. And this is where it really gets hard because people will tell you that it's okay to do something that God says no to. People will influence you to walk in a direction that God is telling you, you're going the wrong way, turn around, reverse. But people put their stamp of approval on it. People put their stamp of approval on it. It gasses you up. It makes you think that you can do whatever you want to do because God is with you. God is with you. Go ahead and go for it. God is with you. Don't pray. You don't got to pray about that. Come on. You, you think God really wants to hear your prayers about that? Go ahead and do it. It's fine. No worries. And, and I want to challenge you with something here. Beware of people's permission. Beware of the permission of people. Beware of elevating the people to the place that only God should be. Beware of taking their word as gospel and Bible. And I'm challenging someone here because you have put God's stamp of approval on something God didn't tell you to do. And it was just some people who you thought heard the voice of God. You better hear God for yourself. Can I take it a step further? Beware of people's permission. Beware of the pastor's permission. <laughs> this is something you need to understand. If we're going to talk about the future of the church, we're going to talk about what type of house we want to build. You need to hear this. I am not always right because I'm the pastor of a church. <laughs> I am not always saying things that are in step with you and what you should do just because I'm the pastor of the church. I'm going to be on my face every day trying to hear from God. What do you have me to say to your people what would you have me to lead them into but you ought to kill right now and crucify this idolatry that we have about pastoral and ministry position that if you're a pastor you can't get it wrong that is a lie from the pit of hell itself we are human beings tasked with a responsibility from God we are not infallible we are not perfect we are not supernatural in and of ourselves it is only the grace of God it is only by the grace of God that we are able to lead. Beware of the pastor's permission. Just because I say something doesn't mean you should go and do it for your life. Are you praying to God for yourself? And I don't want to establish a culture where if I say something, now everyone's saying, you know what, I don't have to pray about it. You know what, God spoke to the pastor, it's all good. And there are some things, this is reason, right? There's, we're, we're speaking reasonably here. There are some things that we have to go and do. We, we understand this. But I'm talking about individually for individual decisions for your life. Beware of the people's permission. Beware of my permission. Beware of your family's permission. Because sometimes we have our best interest in mind for you, but God can see things we can't. And this is what God says to Nathan that night. The word of the Lord, 2 Samuel 7, you see it on your screen, came to Nathan saying, go and tell my servant David. This is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? Oh, so this you, huh? You decided this you. You, you, you going to do it? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. This, this is a funny thing. We think we need to. We need to prove something to God or set something up for God to operate. God's like, I've been operating since the beginning of time, before the beginning of time. And I didn't need your permission on how I should operate to do the thing that I'm already going to do. Did I need a house to be able to establish my presence for my people? What? 
look at what else he says. I've been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. God flexing here, right? This is a flex. This is an almighty flex. I ain't even need no temple. You see all the people out there, Baal and all these other gods, they had to have elaborate temples. They had to have jewelry. They had to have human sacrifices. They had had all this stuff. I've been moving in tents. I'm undefeated in tents. <laughs> this, is a, this is an almighty flex. Verse 7, wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people, why have you not built me a house of cedar? You're telling me something is essential, and I didn't say that. As a matter of fact, I've never said that to anybody. Did I ever say that? I, I want to ask you something. Are you building for God what God doesn't need? Don't build for God what God doesn't need. And again, you have to suspend this logic. We have this idea, bigger is better. Greater is more holy. It, more and more and more. That's what God wants. More and more and more. More all at once. It must be right. Not taking into account the condition of our heart or the stewardship of our resources or what God has called us to do or the ultimate trajectory of what God is trying to do with our hearts. Not taking any of that into account. We just want more. Don't build for God what God don't need. If God needs something, God going to tell you. <laughs> if God wants you to step into something and it's bigger, God going to make it clear. But we have to break this mentality, church, that just because we see something that is bigger, and just because we see something that makes logical sense that would honor God doesn't mean that's what God needs from us. And let me interject this here because I wasn't even going to go here. Let me interject this here, church. This requires our humility. The humility for Jesus to come down and be born of a teenage unwed mother in the city of Nazareth to the son of a carpenter. This humility that Jesus displays is the humility that each one of us must have about the ultimate plans that God has for our lives. Can you handle God saying, no, it doesn't need to be bigger. No, the bank account doesn't need to double. No, the job office doesn't need to get bigger. No, the house you're living in, you need to stay there. No, you need to stay single. Can you handle God telling you, don't build for me or for you what I didn't ask? What do we do when God says no, church? God said no. What do we do? That's not all God said. Notice this. The Lord says to David, the Lord declares by the prophet that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. Think about this. Think about the interesting flip. David says to God, I'm going to build you a house. God says, no. Why, God? Because I'm going to build you a house. Remember the title of this sermon series is If You Build It? Sometimes we don't build it. God builds it for us. This is why you have to pay attention. Listen, I, <laughs> you, 
Y'all better clap at home. Y'all better stand up and shout at home because we can't shout here. I, I'm, I, we can't shout here. Sometimes you don't build it for God. God builds it for you. And the reason why God said no to David is because God wanted David to have something that was so much greater than an individual stamp that said, I built a house for God to dwell in. No, I'll let your son build it and then I'll establish you a house that won't change, that won't fade away. And I'll put my son in your line so he will be the son of David. The house will be established. And as the house is established, it's going to be better than what you could build for yourself. Do you realize, church, that God will build for us and through us something greater than what we can build for ourselves? We accept God's no's because we know that there is something that is greater than what we can see with our eyes. There is something that is more meaningful that we can experience than what we can touch with our hands. There is something more meaningful that we can see and have in our lives than what we can brag about on social media. Maybe God says no, and that's okay because there may be something greater for us to see. I want you to understand something. I'm going to make a culture statement here. I'm going to make a culture statement that is so important. We praise God for shut doors. Pastor, this doesn't make any sense. Why? Why doesn't it make any sense? Because sometimes, church, you have to understand that I know you want to praise God and dance for every testimony when everything turned out the way you thought it should. But sometimes we have to praise God for the nose. Here's the truth. God's omnipotence does not grant you every opportunity. Hate to break it to you. It's sad. It's frustrating. It doesn't make any sense. If it were up to me, that would not be what I would do. I would say, God, open the floodgates and say yes to everything that we say. You're omnipotent. You can do it. There's an abundance of your grace. There's an abundance of your power. But God's omnipotence does not grant you every opportunity. That means sometimes you need to hear the no. At this church, this needs to be a culture statement that we establish. We praise God for shut doors. And I feel this so strongly because it's some people in our church that as I've been praying and preparing, God said, some people are getting discouraged because it isn't working out the way they think it should. And let me give you some good news. Praise God for the shut door. Praise God for the times when he says no. Praise God for the doors that slammed in our faces. Praise God for the rejection and the resistance. Praise God when that person left us. Praise God when those people turned their back up. Praise God for the shut doors. Because I would rather be an extra in God's story than the star of mine. 
I would rather be a supporting character who gets one second of screen time in God's story than the leading actor of a story I write for myself. God's story will always be better, church. I want to build somebody's faith up. Just because you have heard a no, don't stop praising God. Just because it seems like everything is falling apart, don't stop praising God. Just because it seems like you don't know how you're going to get through this week or this month or this year, don't stop praising God. Just because everybody left you, don't stop praising God. Just because you're isolated, don't stop praising God. Praise God for the shut doors. Praise God for the times that we've been rejected and resisted because God is trying to show us something. Here, church, we need to establish a culture. We do not just praise God for the opportunities. When God expands us, we do not just sit here and say, all is well. But even when God says no, we rejoice. Somebody lift your hands right now. If that's you, if you've heard no and you're frustrated, lift your hands right now. Come on. Lift up those hands. Praise God for the shut door. Right now, in your own way, praise God for the shut door. Praise God for the closed opportunity. Praise God for the break. Praise God for the person who slammed the door in your face. Pray, praise God right now. Praise God. Thank you, God, that you can see more than me. Thank you, God, that you're sovereign. Thank you, God, that you care enough about me not to let me walk into an opportunity that's going to ruin me. Thank you, God, that you didn't expand my bank, bank account before my heart was ready for it. Praise God that that person left you alone so that you could work on your relationship with God so that when you step into the next relationship with a person, then you're going to be healthier. Praise God for the shut door. Praise God. Lord, it is hard for us to hear no. It is hard for us to hear, not right now. It is hard for us to hear that we can't do the thing we want to do so badly. It may be hard for so many of us individually. I know it's hard for me. So God, would you give us a mentality, a tenacity, an intensity that says, I receive the no, and I don't stop the praise because there's something you want to build for me and through me that's greater than what I can build for myself. Give us a mind that praises you. Give us a mind that lifts you up. Give us a heart that thanks you, not just for every opportunity, but even for all the obstacles. I pray for those right now, God, who are tired of hearing no, Strengthen their resolve, build their faith, set their faces like flint, steal their joints, give them strength and power to receive the no and not stop the praise. Do it now, God. Do it now. Build something greater than what we can build for ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you, church. Smile, I don't have the pain in my face oh, no, no. Give my all, I'm raising the stakes People try to beat you, but we ain't in a race But I believe there's still an open door if you don't see it Just as long as I know my purpose, I won't lose it I can't leave it, I get knocked down all the time That doesn't mean that I'm defeated 
I'm going through changes, through changes. West, grass, on my place. Yeah, I made mistakes, but I didn't stay. Kept the faith, not the same after everything I've